Looking for a new job? Or recruiting new talent? Kickstart your search on RecruitIreland.com, where people make better connections. Job seekers, find your perfect match with in-depth company profiles and handy career advice. Recruiters, advertise your jobs and showcase your company across Ireland's trusted media network. RecruitIreland.com. Jump on to take off. Growing Pains, IE Parenting Podcast, in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices. Hi, I'm Irene Feehan and welcome to Growing Pains, the Irish Examiner's Parenting Podcast Series in association with Safe Food. With me today is Richard Hogan. He is Clinical Director of TherapyInstitute.ie, a family psychotherapist and author of the recently published and best-selling book, Home is Where the Start Is. For the next 20 minutes, we'll be talking about building resilience in your child. Thank you for joining us in our studio today, Richard. Good to see you, Irene. So we know that life's not perfect. We don't always get what we want. So what do we do to teach our children how to live with loss and less in their lives? Yeah. What we're talking about here is how to build a resilience in our children mm. because when they come to have an unrealistic expectation that the world will always shape around them and that they'll always get what they want, and we set them up for a real failure in life. And I meet it, and I meet that a lot in couples therapy. And um, so as adults, yeah, as adults, I meet, I meet it, I meet the result of all of that okay. down the world, down the road, and and I'd meet it, and I meet a lot of. Uh, college students coming in to me too who find it really difficult to meet what I would call normal things and arrows of life the ups and downs of life the exam stress you know studying for your exams we've all gone through those things but they're struggling to manage themselves and so we'd have to look at that and say well what's happening here to, that their resilience has been eroded or that they're not they're not developing those skill sets and we have to look at that So you say we're not born with Resilience yeah, no, actually is something that we kind of learn Yeah None of us are born uh, immune to stress Stress is a very important part of keeping us all alive. You know what I mean? And that's really, you know, traditionally, if that's an elephant charging towards you, you're going to have a stress response to it. That's a car coming towards you. That's a stress response that keeps you going. That's about your longevity. And so at times we have stress. And that's what I say to children all the time. If you and I, this is why I think maybe the mental health profession at the moment is a bit reminds me of the diet fad of the 90s where you're telling kids they should be at like 100% all the time and they should be fantastic all the time and they should never feel anxiety. You're like, that's setting it, that's just like not normal, that's not real, and that's not reality. We all feel stress. I feel stress from time to time. I'm sure you feel stress from time to time. Everybody feels stress from time to time. The difference here, Irene, is the child that can manage that stress. The child who speaks to themselves in a more positive way about that stress is a resilient child. And the child who selectively abstracts that feeling of feeling stress and says, well, be, you know, I'll never be able to do this. I'm always like that. that so they identify with that feeling. That's, the, that's who they are. That's their identity. And that becomes like what we'd say in psychology, a gestalt. So one small, you know, I have a fight with you, let's say, and then I think, oh, I feel terrible about myself. And then that I selectively abstract that. I'm always feeling terrible about myself. I'm never going to be feeling good. I'm always going to feel like that. That's the whole then of who I am. And it's just an error in your thinking. It's all about perspective because resilience doesn't make you immune to stress, it just makes you able to manage it. And that's the difference. So w what do you do to say to the child who says, I just can't do it and they're just you know, struggling to learn maybe they're, they're Irish or they're struggling to learn how, how to play a new mm. sport, whatever it is, play the guitar. So 
what do you say? You actually, you see that as a lack of resilience. Well, I'd say to them, I can, I can't are two true statements. You just got to, you just got to decide which one is the truth for you, right? And if I can do it, well, then you are able to do it. I mean, you know, that, and that's a key thing. And, and children often, it's a, it's a huge common problem that I see amongst, uh, say, people, all my clients that I've worked with over the years, they develop um, a way to manage themselves in a fear of not being able to achieve something. Ah, so it's self-protection. It's a self-protection thing. It's a real maladaptive self-protection. They believe, and I, I work with this all the time, if they were to feel happy, they could get knocked down. They could get whacked by life. So if, I, if I'm down here all the time, I can't get whacked by life. So then I'm safe from actually feeling good and falling down. And I say, well, you're hurting yourself all the time. With that maladaptive response there, you're, you're hurt all the time. How about if you actually took a risk and went for something? How about if you took a risk and actually said, I'm going to feel good today and have a bit of courage about going forward in your life? That's, that's kind of scary because we get so stuck with feeling bad about ourselves. It becomes familiar to, it becomes like a familiar feeling. How about if you said, I'm going to move away from those feelings? and embrace actually the fact that I could feel good about myself. It's a really fatalistic thing. That's inevitably going to turn to crap. So if I stay down here, you know, I'll, I'll be fine. So how would you talk to a child, just say, for example, of struggling to learn maths, for example, who has that, I'm no good, I'm never going to get it. So well, I mean, I think if I sat down with Einstein, he wouldn't have made me a great a maths student, right? I mean, there's just, yes, there's, there's, there's abilities in here too, for sure. And mm. some of your genetic coding, I come from a family of writers and all that kind of stuff. So I don't think maths was, even my brother, who's just two years ahead of me, who was really, really into all that stuff, wasn't a real mathematician, right? He was decent enough to get through it, but not like that wasn't in our genetic coding. Um, so there's a bit of that for sure. And we all, and I think you have to be able to spot what your child's talents are. I was never going to be a Gwail I was just never going to be a part of it. I was never going to be sitting down with Dahi Ushay, chatting Irish to him all day long. That's just never going to happen. Um, and so you, you, I think what you have to spot there is your child's unique, the uniqueness of what your child has. That's the key. Not telling them they're brilliant at everything. If my dad was saying to me, you're brilliant at maths, I'd be like, what the hell is he talking about? That doesn't fit with it, me. It doesn't. It, it doesn't. And mm. it's not like it's a self-limiting belief. It's just, you know, that's a kind of a, I just know that's not where my interests lie. And that's what I'd often say to children who come in with really negative ideas about themselves. I'd say to them, you don't know what your potential is yet. You know, you, you, don't, you just don't know what you're capable of yet. But you're allowing how you feel about yourself now to disrupt who you potentially might be in the future. And if you change that and you worked in the interest of your future self, you could be anything here. You could turn yourself into whatever it is you want to be. Right? And, and that's, that's the key. And that language you have to yourself to say, I'm going to keep turning up that resilience. I'm going to keep, I will try, I will learn all the small incremental steps mm. that I need. Yeah in order to master whatever it is that scale whatever or become better at it yeah okay so there's I like how you talk about children how they talk to themselves as mm. well that and I, and I know it comes from how adults yeah. talk to them as well so that they learning how to speak to themselves in a positive way so that they learn that challenges are transient yes, yes. Yeah, there's nothing more important than the relationship you have up there with the voice in your head. It's the longest relationship you're ever going to have, Irene. The loudest relationship. And the loudest relationship. And at times, let's say, the most destructive relationship. It's going to hold you back. It's going to say things to you. You're going to get found out here. They're going to know you're not that clever. You know, people don't like you. It's going to be either holding you back and, and restrictive and constraining you, or it's going to send you forward and be courageous and go out into the world. And, Irene, here's a key thing. If you, if you don't land on the thing that you want to achieve, it's not a failure. That's, I think, where we're setting our kids up for massive failures. We, we make them fearful of failure. 
So there's a fear of failure. So then you don't do anything. You're paralyzed by analysis there because if you're going to really dread not landing on the thing, you'll never do anything. And so it's a really key thing. It's like what Bill Gates said, you know, uh, success is a very poor educator. We've got to teach our children that actually mistakes aren't mistakes. They are learning moments. And so when you don't land on something, you learn from it. It's like what Dyson said, you know, he's been interviewed and they said to him, I, I don't know how many uh, prototypes you had, I think it was like 140 something. And they said, why didn't you stop after 120? And he was like, it was just like 140 something opportunities to get it right. Like, well, that's the mindset you need to teach your children. So building, they, building well, that's all the resilience. time on mistakes. You if you're them. terrified of, sorry, Irene, if you're terrified of making mistakes, you'll do nothing in life. And this is a, such a gift. The probability of you sitting here and having life in your, you know, in your hand here is a 400 quadrillion to the power of 150,000. In betting terms, it's almost zero. I mean, so what, what are you going to, how are you going to live your life? Terrified of making a mistake or going out there and you don't, you don't land on it? Okay, go again, go again, go again. What happens, you know, uh, what happens when you take a wrong turn with the sat-nap? It just recalibrates and off you go again. If you had that mindset yourself, you'd go anywhere in life. Trusting that you'll find your way. Trust yourself and that's resilience. Mm. That is yeah. absolute resilience when you've got a low sense of trust in yourself. And that's also the roots of anxiety. When you don't believe that you have the skills to meet an unknown future event, none of us know what the future holds when I leave this podcast. I have no idea what's going to happen there. And if I'm trying to predict that, that's the seeds of actually obsessive thinking. If I'm trying to predict that and control that, that's going to cause all sorts of problems in my life. But if I believe I can manage whatever it is out there, and of course, at, at one point in my life, I won't be able to manage it, whatever it is that comes into my life that maybe, you know. But all I, in time. All in time. But I know I have the skills to manage whatever's out there. Generally speaking, that makes you strong. That makes you resilient. So what about then teaching children how to take healthy risks? I think we definitely need to d develop that in our children. And, and, I'm, and I, what I'm talking about is like, you know, if your child wants to go for the school play or whatever it is, they have to do those things. You know, they have to push themselves because if they don't, they really start to diminish their lives. And I can see it. They shrink their life down into like their bedroom. And, and it can, parents can tend to kind of wrap the, the kids in cotton wool and say, look, if you're upset, don't yeah. push yourself. Don't it's push okay. It. You don't be, you no need to be nervous. But in fact, sometimes they have to push through those feelings. Oh my God, Irene, it's such an important point. It's about immunising your child to upset. I mean, where do we get the bloody idea? It drives me crazy. Where do we get the idea that our children can't experience pain and suffering? I mean, they're so resilient. And that stuff, pain and suffering that they experience, is what gives them the tools to understand, I manage that. And that's what I say to my kids. Remember that time you felt like that? You managed it. You didn't, you're not feeling like that yesterday. You'll get through this now again tomorrow. And so it's really given them that skill set that they believe I have power to manage whatever it is that's coming up in my life. Now, now you're powerful. Now you're resilient. And there's a grit in that as well. A massive grit that in that. That steady you for the next time yeah, as you, well. Uh, because if you're expecting that nothing's going to come into your life, my God, you know, you're going to expect that there's going to be no it's suffering. It's going to be a tough world. It's going to be a tough life when you mm. go out there. So uh, what about building autonomy then within the child? You have a lovely suggestion about kind of choosing a family activity that mm. everybody can support. So mm -hmm. what happens? Yeah, it's funny because I came up with a lot of this stuff just as being a parent. It wasn't even any theory I read, but I was just trying to develop themselves, their sense of self. And I was thinking, you know, where would you get a sense of self? Well, if everyone in the family liked something that you chose, wouldn't that make you feel kind of good about yourself? So I was like, every second week, and I ended up in some terrible places, I'll be honest, in my Give 30s. Give me an example. In my 30s, 
awesome walls, <laughs> um, jump zone, okay. bouncing beyond these places, right? It was just like, you know, but you know, when a six-year-old chooses an activity and the whole family goes to it and they look around, they see you all enjoying it. My God, that's an incredibly confidence-building thing. That that six-year-old is thinking, God, they, they really like what I've chosen here. They're really enjoying my activity. That builds incredible sense of self and that worth and value because... When a child doesn't have worth and value, let's say, and I have three girls, you don't want them going off into the adolescent world where they value themselves just and how people perceive them or what people say about them because then they're very vulnerable. You know, you want them to value themselves that they can say no to something that they don't want to do because, you know, I believe I have value here. I believe I've got worth and I don't want to do that. So we're not doing that. And so that's reinforced by the whole family, not, not just by the parents. Or no. The whole system. It's such an important part of your formation. And then they get to turn up to the other activities, the and other support, siblings like exactly. and say, look, I'm here for you because this is what you really and enjoy. And I loved it. And that and that was such a great, the banter coming home in the car after that and what they enjoyed about it. And you just see the smile on like, my, particularly my middle daughter, who's just, you know, who chose like whatever, bouncing, the smile in her face about like everyone enjoying her activity. It was her day and it was her activity. And most importantly, we all enjoyed it. You sometimes talk about then the kind of the mental health language we have around children is that it's um and teaching them like it's okay not to be okay. Yeah. So I'm just wondering what we're teaching our children around that because they're quite suggestible, aren't they, kids? Children are very suggestible. Mm. And that is a good message. It's okay to be, it's okay not to be okay. Because what you're saying there is like none of us feel good all the time. That's a good message. But we also need the the opposing message, I feel, that it's okay to be okay and okay is okay. You know, we're not always going to feel great. We're not always going to be feeling like a 10. That's what I often ask them about 10, 1 to 10, where you're in that. Like, we're not all going to be like a 10 all the time. No one's like that. No, you know, Hopefully you're not a 1 all the time. And so you, we fluctuate depending on what's kind of going on in our life. And so helping children to understand that okay is okay. But also what I what I mean by it's okay to be okay is we're not endorsing negative, you know, suggestible stuff to our children that they feel like to be okay is not desirable. To be not okay is kind of makes you kind of the like... Ne- the message needs to be really clear around yeah, that. And it needs to be positive, Irene, because mm. they are so suggestible. So then very often we're, we're back to the thing about parents who don't feel validated growing up um, can sometimes try to rectify this by mm. being overly validating the children and say, you're the best, high five, well done. You can sometimes see it in American scenarios, mm. you know, everyone's a winner. Uh, medals for all. So what do you see the limitations of that approach? Yeah, it's not great. <laughs> it's not good. Um, and it's, 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 you know, there's really good intentions behind it. Mm. But our, our own lived experience growing up is always in our parenting. Okay. You know, it's always there. That's the foundation. And we're always trying to fix that. You know what I mean? When you do psychotherapy and you study it, you realize that you're always there and you're trying to manage that in the conversation. You know, you're trying to understand where you are in this conversation. And as a parent, you kind of don't need to be a psychotherapist, but you, you should know that, you know, when you're trying to ameliorate something for your child, it's generally yourself that you're you're doing there. So overcompensating, overcompensating to compensate to for compensate. what you didn't get in your own childhood. Exactly. And I, I call it the paradox of parenting. The very thing that you're trying to ameliorate or fix is the thing that you bring into your child's life. So if you had an austere parent, you decided my child children will know my love and they'll always hear me tell them and you say it so much it becomes kind of meaningless and your children feel your words are kind of meaningless you bring the same about the same outcome again it goes back to the boundaries around it you're not your child's best friend you know you, you got to be in that position of parental authority you want a deep and meaningful relationship with your children of course but you have to be the pillar there and you have to be you know by their side not on their side that's a crucial kind of phrase I think 
So in, in that kind of over over praising and all that, you can actually, it sounds like you can almost lose a connection with your child because your child is only hearing positive and how wonderful you are and how much you're loved. And the, somehow the child doesn't begin to hear it at well, some level. If I walked into the maths class and my maths teacher was going, isn't Richard Hogan just the best at maths? You know, you're just <laughs> wonderful. You're just amazing. I wouldn't believe a word he was saying because I knew I wasn't pretty, that wasn't where my interests lay, right? And so, you you know, and something my daughter says to me a lot, she says, I, I, you know, I kind of like dad's feedback because I believe it because he's not always positive about it. And when she, if she's singing out a tune, I would say, oh, you hit that note a bit weird there when you came into it. And she appreciates that, that it's actually truthful and it's honest. And I'm not telling her, you're the most amazing singer of all time. You're just as good as Mariah Carey. You know, that you're being honest with your children. You're trying to spot their talents. You're trying to promote those talents and give them that little seed of fire to, to get them going on what they're interested in. But you're not giving this bland nondescript just you're amazing all the time you're trying to you're trying to you're trying to get so them to see the real a world. reality check yeah, as well I think so and this is how it is and it is always wonderful and ideal but there are there's lessons to be learned there is room for improvement that's not going to damage a child it sounds like well I'll tell you one thing if you an experience I had there if you tell your child that the most amazing singer they have that ever right of course you, you want because maybe you wanted to be a singer yourself or whatever and they go on to the school play and they try out for the school play and they don't get it. That is a profound crash of reality for your child. You know, and it's like, you've got to be careful about that type of language about, you know, you're, you know, if my parents told me I, I could beat Usain Bolt in a race, isn't that lovely? But like the reality is, of course I can't. And That's setting a child up for a fall, it, it's essentially. setting them up for failure, mm. to be honest. And it's a, a profound fall. And it's about, it's about promoting them and giving them confidence to try new things, but not a about, you know, giving them this false sense of like you, you know, just well, as we we're talking about, you're, you're the most amazing, you're this and just try to help them to see themselves a little bit better and to promote the stuff that they're interested in. And also to know that life isn't always perfect. There is and loss, you, you, there's less. You won't win at everything. Mm. I haven't won at everything. Mm. I haven't achieved everything I've gone for. And it's really important. I remember, uh, you know, um, I read an article where this, I think he was a Harvard trained professor and he, he released all his scholarships that he didn't get, that he applied for and that he didn't get because he got, I think he got some like bullets or whatever, but he released all his, fa all his, what we would call failures. And I was thinking, that's what we need to see more of. Yes. What it took to get to, to get this point. Because yeah. we see the Elon Musk yes. and we see these, you know, the end result, the end result of all the failure. Yes. To get there. Yeah. And the failure was part of the And the, the failure is the stones. learning stuff to get there. And okay. so we have to teach our children that actually falling short doesn't make you not doesn't mean you're not wonderful or you're not a fantastic mm -hmm. child. It just means that, you know, you need to go again and think about something how, how else you're going to go about it and, and how you're going to achieve if that's what you want to go at. And so you're teaching them about reality and about the reality of like not not attaining at times, because that is success. That's the that's the breed for me in a way. That was the stuff that motivated me towards success. Can I just bring us forward to teenagers and because um, people say that they've never had it so easy uh, and they expect the world always to turn up for them and on their side. So uh, what can we talk about what they're experiencing? I know there's this study, 2019 study that you've mm. spoken about where they have a fear, great anxiety, a anxiety, fear of the future. I think anxiety is probably the epidemic of, mm. of our modern times. And you have to look at that and say, well, why are we so anxious? What is it about us that are so anxious? And I would say, well, I think um, we are, as parents, quite enmeshed in our children's lives. We don't allow them to make mistakes. We remove all the mistakes from them because we have the erroneous belief that they shouldn't ever feel any pain. And like that, again, that's the immunizing. I mean, if you think your child's going to go off to the world and not feel pain or suffering, it's not realistic. You're setting them up for a fall. 
Um, and so it's like, yeah, I think I think that's a, a huge problem. And, one and that's not happening from parents. That seems to be happening across the board. So mm. it's not just a, one parent compensating for what they didn't get in childhood. It seems to be a new way of parenting almost. But even the universities, I, th- I think I think it's just like a societal thing, you know, um, I just think it's I do. I do. I think we, we've never causes our children so much. Um, and it's a backlash. It's a, you know, it's an overcorrection from when I was parented, when you're out there just running around, you know. Come in for your dinner. Come in for, you know, run, uh, you know, come in when you're hungry. Yes. You know, that was kind of <laughs> what we did. And, uh, you know, and so it's a kind of an overcorrection to that. And so we need to get more in the middle. We don't want either of those extremes. We want to be somewhere in the middle where children can feel f- free to make mistakes and, you know, go out there into the world and take risks, calculated risks and, you know, and critically evaluate what's going on for them and be able to be confident about the choices that they make. So, And if you've got a teenager dealing with these kind of issues in your clinic, what's the, what's the advice you give to them? Dealing with? De- dealing with just a sense of being overwhelmed, yeah. anxiety, for example. Well, I, I'd look at what the what, what, what actually the threat is. Uh, we'd have a look at that first of all. What, what, what do you, because f- I'd always bring it back to, because when a child has fear, they have three responses. And this is what it is. It's like reassurance, it's avoidance or it's control. And so that's generally what I'd, I'd go in there and have a look at what's the response. And they might say they're ruminating. So that's obsessive thinking or they're not going to college. They're avoiding or they're relying on mom for reassurance. So those those three responses, and I, I look at trying to dismantle those responses because they're maladaptive. They disempower a child. They're what we call a, a positive feedback loop. They keep the child in this terrible position of like, you know, not moving. And so I try to dismantle those and I'd help them to see that those are not what they need. You don't need to tap the table. You don't need to say things over and over in your head. You don't need to check under the bed all the time. These are the things that go on. You don't all. need to be gaming hours and hours. You don't need to be gaming hours and hours and hours. The games actually are depriving you of real life. You can game, but you can't game like this. I mean, that's that's obviously there's a there's an unhealthy relationship here. And so you try to figure out what I'd say to them all the time is, what are you avoiding? We broke it down. What does the game help you? What do you like about the game that helps you avoid something about the real world? And I'd phrase it in a very kind of way that they get it. And they're kind of going, well, I don't like my relationship with my dad. Or I don't like the fact that I'm not good in school. Or I don't like the fact that I'm not sporty. And so they, they, the you game look is behind a way it. Yeah, look what's happening exactly. behind it. Okay. So what would your top tip for parents be in this area? Yeah, I think... A really important thing to think about, and we always have to think about ourselves, right? Um, when we remove the obstacles mm. from our child, whose needs are we meeting? And it's our own needs we're meeting there. And so the analogy I always give to parents, I always try to think, break down this stuff into really easy, accessible analogies. When you teach a child to cross the road, how do you do it? You bring them down to the crossroad, you show them the light, you show them the car. And I think of this as a metaphor for you know adversity. The cars are like, you know, struggles and challenges. Now, would you ever say to your child, don't worry about those cars because I'll always be here to hold your hand? No, because you know that that would be a very unsuccessful outcome for your child if they don't know how to navigate the crossroad. And so the same with life. When you remove all the obstacles, you're saying to them, don't worry about obstacles in your life. I'll always be here as your parent to mind you. You will not always be there to mind them. And so what you need to do is immunize them, allow them to experience the, what Hamlet would call the slings and arrows of life, the outrageous fortune of life. They have to experience that. You need to be by their side, help them when they come into contact with some challenges, give them some nice advice, ask them some good questions and let them try to manage it themselves so that they begin to build their reservoir of resilience and they feel like I've got a lot of tools here and a lot of skills here to be able to manage this stuff. I manage that. I can manage this. And when they think about that, then that's actually the antidote to anxiety. If I, if I manage that, I can manage something in the future. Richard Hogan, family psychotherapist, thank you very much. Thank you very much, Irene. 
Growing Pains, i.e. parenting podcast in association with Safe Food, helping you make better food choices.